Hi. Yeah. Welcome to the Holes of the Mark podcast show. And I'm talking to my friend and regular guest, it's Rob. And today, Hi, my name's S. Rob. Great to be here, Mark. And I think we're talking about mermaids today. That's right, yeah, because there's something about them that always uh, intrigues me. And that is that, basically, the view people tend to have is from the films of, you know, the lady with the blonde hair and the tail. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be many sightings like that, to be honest. Uh, most of the sightings above Scotland, at just the right peak, tend to be of mermaids with, uh, like, a brownish skin. Not really, uh, you know, the light skin at all. The only light skin sightings you seem to get seem to be off Africa, ironically. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sightings which don't look exactly human, you know. Uh, I know some of the islands around Britain have, re- have, have the legend of uh, the males being scaly all over, which means in that you've got the mermen would be covered in scales, covered in green. And it was only the females that had the, uh, you know, the female body above the waist and the fish's tail below. And then you got the legend of, you know, the main link with seals, that they were actually, that's a seki, that they were actually uh, seal people. And they could leave the seal part behind and walk around as a woman and then come back. And what people used to do, what they said, was hide the tails. If they hid the tails, then they would walk around and you could marry them. But if they ever found the tail again, they would escape and, you know, swim back into the ocean. Hmm. Uh, and, and that, yeah, and that links as well into uh, dragons, because people don't realise that the Japanese royal family claimed descendants from dragons. They claim that their bloodline comes from dragons, which quite a few of the royals do. But this is the interesting thing. Their dragons come below the water. So they believed there was a big kingdom below the water where the dragons lived. And when you think about it, scales do look very much uh, the same, whether it's a fish or a dragon. You could see how they would mix the two up, especially when the oriental dragon uh, doesn't really have limbs. So it would be very easy to mistake, uh, you know, a half fish for maybe a half dragon. So all links in there. And you've got this fascinating mythology linked with it all. You know, many sightings, uh, but yet still not really exactly as they are portrayed in the films. Yeah, I mean, I, it's also, you see a lot of them in the old Eldie World maps, as they said, because it was uh, a lot of sailors, obviously, back then, if you mentioned mermaids, they would, they would run them out, because they was considered bad luck, or... That's uh, drew you into uh, shipwrecks and things like that. That's right, yeah. I mean, that was... You can see why you would, can't you, really? You're on board a ship. You're far away from home. Uh, you know, there's no communication like there is now. So you are cut off. You know, seeing a mermaid or more than one would be a frightening thing. Uh, and that really comes to my theory. I actually feel that it's easier to, to get to these other realms, which I think is what's happening, I think, a lot of the time. We're entering their realm, or partly. And that there is a dimension where this is the norm, where they swim around like this as, as the norm, and that's just the way humans exist there. And basically what has happened is, is that when they're travelling on board a ship, that and probably combined with the will of somebody to, to get somewhere out to see something, or more than one, causes them to slip to another dimension. Uh, because if we look at it, time slips, people always seem to travel when they're, they're moving. You don't really see people moving to other times or seeing these strange things when they're standing still. You know, they always seem to be moving. Uh, and there is some proof of that as well, that you can do that when you're moving, because I know quite if, talk about how many years ago it was, uh, it was obviously after the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean film came out. Uh, me and my father were in the car, and we had this idea, and we both had the same idea at the same time. So we're travelling in this car, we're just looking for a different place to go. We're actually going to this warehouse place. It was like, but the soul of the public, and it turned out they had a lot of crap, but it was just because there was nowhere else to go. You know what it is when you've been everywhere and you just try anything? 
So we're driving round and and he said we're lost. And I said, you got to be lost to find the place that can't be found. That's like from the film Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I forget the rest of what we said. And then it was a massive change. Literally, we were stood still in the car. Uh, we just stopped. And there was a massive amount of cars shooting around. This was an empty place, okay? It was just outside Sunderland, actually. But there was nobody there in this estate. And they were moving at a hell of a pace. So you've got Ford Capris that were moving at the speed of, like, a Lamborghini. And then suddenly there's nothing. And that was weird. But we continued on and went to the place. And this was an odd thing. They were selling uh, a slot machine. Had all this stuff in, and people were looking at it. I thought it's a strange that people are looking at us. I thought, well, okay, maybe it was strange, but it, it looked a little bit odd, you know. Uh, the people were maybe down dressed a little bit, but you know, it was a warehouse. Uh, and they had these slot machines for sale. This is a strange thing the slot machines had the old money, they wouldn't take the modern money. Now, if you think about it, decimalisation, sorry, not, not decimalisation, the modern money of the 21st century has been around a long time now, and had been quite a while then, uh, and they were taking the old money, it wouldn't take the new money. And when they mentioned this, people were looking at the strings, like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Uh, and the whole place looked a bit weird, and then we left to a pub, and luckily everything seemed to be normal. But afterwards, I thought, clearly those cars moving so fast, these old cars was impossible. They couldn't move that quickly. It was, just wasn't reasonable. And they all appeared. And then I thought, were we actually in a different dimension? Were we in uh, a different time? Because I did go after that, and it looked completely different. The place was redecorated. It was a completely different place. Uh, so we may have actually travelled there into uh, a time in the past when that place existed. Well, I think, uh, I think we do. I think we technically time travel now. I've, I have a theory that when we, when I talk to people on, when I do my podcast, say I'm talking to someone in America, and normally it's like gone midnight my end, and like seven o'clock their end, so technically I have time travelled. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I thought was weird, was the cars, because I thought, okay, maybe a place selling, uh, you know, a slot machine that takes all money, that seems unlikely. But the fact that a Ford Capri and all these old cars can move that fast, that just doesn't happen. They just can't do it, you know. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't happen. And that was a thought. The interesting thing was we were travelling. We were in the car when we said it and then we stopped. and all. So we were actually travelling when we said it. So if anything happened, we did move at all. We did it when we were actually moving through, through, through space, you know, through three-dimensional space somehow we moved somewhere else but it made me wonder as well was the place itself did we move to the past or did we move to a time when basically uh, when that time was finished because it looked a little bit ill-kept and the people looked a little bit ill-kept I thought maybe it's not time isn't how we think it is maybe what you've got is that was a box that was a box that had just been left you know that had been left a while ago or so many years ago and when we were there it was like what the hell is this guy doing this isn't really supposed to be here this is not really supposed to be a place at the moment you know what i mean this is just supposed to be some some strange leftover place uh, and, and then you move on you know and then you move on to the next box as it were uh but like i said we did go back and it looked completely different it was redecorated it was it was a completely different place you know uh I remember one thing as well, they had for sale these short, like, comic version books of, like, you know, picture books of Socrates, I remember that. And I thought, well, that's interesting, that, because you've got kids then and sort of can get into it from an early age. And I thought that was a good thing, you know, people that are related to it, because it does happen even still now, you know. Uh, but it was weird. It was a weird thing. And I realised then, I thought, that could happen on board a ship so easily. Because you've got an entire shipload of people. All it would take is so many of them to be in the right state of mind. And because they're already travelling, and many ancient people believe that water was a facilitator of these things, that it made it easier to happen. So being on water would make it uh, an easier matter to switch dimensions or maybe to blur in. So they're seeing this mermaid, and this mermaid is going to be really scared of merman. 
because they're going to be seeing this great big floating device which doesn't exist in their world because why would it why would a ship exist in a world if there was just no people if that was the norm you know why would they need a ship you know why, whereas we lived on the land they moved the other way and they went into the sea so maybe you're talking the aquatic ape theory you know the idea that humans spent some time uh, near water and in the water and that's why our hair grows with like a grain and no other ape has hair that grows with a grain ours doesn't stick out it just goes it flattens down you know uh which in itself is odd but it was a very strange experience but you can see how it would be so simple if you're relying on people's will or thought and travel how it could happen so easily on board a ship uh, you know when you think about it than, it than it would normally it probably happens now all the time people probably switch in and back or partly in without realizing it because how would they how would they know what happens if the, if you're there and they're in the sea but there's no mermaid there hmm. you know it's just you wouldn't know you'd just slip there and back you know do you think the mermaids are mistreated in the media generally get a pretty good time of it actually they tend to always be viewed as good you know they don't really get seen as bad you know uh there's no there's not much in the way of negative press and stuff like that you know so i think they generally get pretty good press actually which is uh, they get better press than we do because let's be honest humans aren't interested in hearing good things about other humans so if you look at in the news and you look at us our newspapers, if you, as if you were like a separate species, you'd look and say, Jesus, these humans are terrible because we're always reporting bad things about each other. You know? So I think they get probably better treated than we do. There's brand new cells, as I say. Exactly, yeah. But it's an interesting idea, the idea of changing dimensions like that, you know? Because it seems to blur in most of the time. It seems that most of the time things blur in and back. Uh, and I've got a theory this happens a lot. Uh, I'm not trying to remember end of reality point theory. The idea that there's these strange end of reality points that can be within you or whatever. But basically these points, uh, they need to be concealed. And there's this concealing mechanism which conceals them in the world. So most of the time you walk around and you may not see uh, that it's there. So most of the time you look at something and maybe you're looking at a brick wall and one brick is different. You don't realise it's different. It's just one brick. Uh, you know, and most of the time when things go wrong, they only go wrong in a small way. So you end up losing, uh, or rather going back a very small amount of time, maybe like a second. And only when something goes dramatically wrong do you notice it, which means it probably happens all the time, these time slips. That we're probably going backwards and forwards all the time. That it's a very common occurrence, you know. Hmm. I, I, I like the fact about mermaids because... I think, in a way, it's almost like a sexual image. It's always funny that the the women are always topless. It is, yeah, you're right. It is. It is a very sexualized image, isn't it, of mermaids? Uh, and when you think about it, that sort of doesn't make sense because how the hell would you have sex with something with a fish's lower body? It, I can't see that would work at all. But you're right, it's sort of a safe sexualized image, isn't it? Because there's no genitalia like we have. And the male mermaids don't seem to have much in the way of genitalia. They've got more like a fish's lower body. Uh, so it's a safe image, isn't it? I suppose that's why it appears in, uh, you know, films sometimes for young people. Because it's sexualized, but in a safe way. Because nothing can happen because it's a mermaid, you know? I just find that strange. Uh, I just thought, that, I thought how in this day and age of the political correctness that we all hate, um, I wonder if they if they made the Mermaid now the film or Splash wasn't it that was it with uh yeah if they made it now I wonder if they would make it although you don't see nothing obviously because she's got her hair very long there's there's no yeah. nakedness as such but it, it's implied yeah I don't really think they'd make it now I think they'd have a big problem. Uh, because you look at it, they'd look and say, okay, so this is a mermaid, this must be a superhero film. And they'd say, no, this is not a superhero film. And they'd say, okay, right, so there's like a, so th it's a love story, so this is like a porn, like a soft porn film. They'd say, no, this is not a soft porn film. They just wouldn't get it at all. You know, I don't think they would. 
I'd like to be in the, the room when they pitched the idea of the film now, wouldn't you? Yeah, there's this story about this woman. She's half naked half the time. She appears in the sea. But it's a lovely shot. It's, you don't see nothing. You just see slight curvature of the bum, but long hair. They'll be going, oh no, can't show that. Mm. So that one, but that's the thing they're trying to make it into the superhero film. That's what they do. That'd be a good concept, wouldn't it? Mermaid superheroes. I wonder what they... Yeah, what, I mean, they used to be... I wonder who their enemies would be. Probably other mermaids, I would imagine, wouldn't it? <laughs> or sea monsters or something, yeah. you know? Uh, or us, that would probably be more likely, wouldn't it? All the crap we pump into the sea. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's terrible what we put in the sea. It is, yeah. And the thing is, then you end up you're buying fish, which is came from the sea, so you're eating your own crap. All the, the shit you've been pumping into the sea, all the pollution and stuff like that, you're eating it. You know, you get it back. I eat quite a lot of tuna fish, and I don't think about it, that really I'm eating all the pollution and stuff that we pumped into the sea via the tuna fish. Yes, that's, that's very true. I mean... We throw we throw plastic away, then we eat the plastic. So basically, our bloodstreams are going to be in, in gunged up with bits of plastic, little microbes of plastic, you know, slowly building up. Yeah, it's probably why the human race isn't really as big as it used to be. Because if you look in the past, we were stronger anyway. You know, hate is varied, but if you look, we were much stronger in the past. You know, if you look at the things that. Like the average Roman soldier or the average Greek sailor, these are things that Olympic athletes can't do today. And the Greek sailors weren't very tall, but yet the that the if you work it out, the cardiorespiratory system was well in in excess of even Olympians now. And these were just people chosen at random. So we fell down quite a lot in terms of strength and capacity. Uh, you know, we've lost a hell of a lot. Uh, and it's probably because of all the crap we're pumping into everything, you know. You've got the Industrial Revolution has caused uh, us, I suppose, now to, to need to do things less, you know. Things are mechanised, and you've got that point. And then you've got the part that you've got a massive explosion in pollution and stuff like that, you know, since then. Uh, we're all together a different people, aren't we, really, to where we used to be. Yeah, I, I think it's a shame. I think... I think I I've had a um, couple of times I've I've mentioned to people that we have got a great capacity. I mean, we we always hear about people doing extraordinarily, marvelously good things and rescue people. Um, and I always use the example of Remembrance Day when we have the two minute silence. Basically, the world yeah. stops for two minutes. You know, good either way. Yeah. And if you look down and you saw that, you'd be really impressed. Obviously, then you read the paper and think, hang on, what's happening here? I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing this. Who is a real human being? Yeah, I think it's that people aren't inspired anymore. Because people need inspiration. You know, I, I always felt that, that we probably changed, at least in Britain, when the sort of the British Empire became a lot smaller, basically became Britain, basically you know an island. When it shrank down, I think that basically we changed, because I feel the Victorian people were probably very positive. And in some countries, you do get people seem to be very positive. You know, Americans seem to be a lot more positive on average than most of us Brits. Uh, and I think that's it. I think people are very negative. You know, people have been told all the time that they can't do things. You know, you have to do this. You have to fit in with this. Uh, and it's just that the whole civilization requires people to fit together in this easily controlled group. But the price you pay for that is, is that people won't normally try to do uh, large-scale things, things that are big, big achievements, because they'll, they'll assume that they can't. And they'll assume they can't because they've been told that. And they believe them. And it's that simple, you know. A lot of people that achieve things don't always seem to be that much different from everybody else, you know. I mean, I'm coming at my 400th book quite soon. But in reality, I'm not much different from uh, from other people. I'm not. 
But for some reason, you know, I just never accepted the assumption that you can only write one book, you know, one book every five years if it's an occult book. Uh, and that was it. That was it. Was just that one assumption that I didn't accept. That's the only real difference. Uh, there isn't really any difference between me and other people. Uh, and and, and it, people do seem that people do huge scale things. Uh, I mean, there's a guy where I used to, where I live now actually, uh, who used to I think for a while he had a world press up record, and I thought that's a hell of a thing, you know, to have to do that. And he had that. I don't think he kept it. I think he lost it actually. But you know, that's a hell of a thing to do to, to do a record for press ups because you're basically pressing your whole body weight up. When you think about it, as you know, if you do press ups, then Hard work. Yeah, they are, especially if you do a lot of them, you know. Uh, and yeah, he had the world record for a while. Uh, I, I think he lost, I don't know. I, maybe he didn't, because I think there's a lot of world press-up records now that are very different variations and stuff like that. Do you remember Superstars? Do, that, you know? do you remember Superstars on the television? Uh, no, I don't, to be honest. Oh, there's a, a man called Brian Jackson who's in it, who used to be an ex-judo Practitioner, yeah, yeah. and he had very impressive stats in the um, when he used to do the uh, sit ups and jump jacks and uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know when you do the bar, the uh, bars in gymnastics, yeah, doing 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 the press ups and that, yeah, yeah. I That's think stuff. he had over fifty or something stupid on it. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? But that's the thing, you see, it's because if you try uh, and you keep pushing, you get further, you know? Because that's all the assumption, isn't it, that, that these people are somehow, they've got this different thing that other people have. A lot of the time it's just the will. That some people have the will and some people don't, you know? Uh, there's not necessarily anything else needed. Because I always feel that if you try... You know, in some way, you always get better, even if it doesn't seem that way, you know, whether it's mentally or physically, but some way you get an advantage out of it, you know. Uh, and there's certainly no disadvantage in trying. Well, I agree with you there, because that's how I started off my podcasting. I thought, I'll give it a go. I think I think people like listening. I, I, I presume they do. I'm not too pleased anyway. But the thing is, you see, is that you tried and you, you thought, oh, I'll do this. But a lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people would have got to the stage and they wouldn't have done it. They'd have just thought, well, you know, maybe this wouldn't work out. And it's the, it's that crushing thing of what if it doesn't work? What if people don't like it? And that's what stops people, you know. Whereas I don't really, I know it sounds terrible, I don't really care that much if some people don't like what I do, as long as some people do. It's okay because they're allowed. You know, people are allowed not to like something. If they don't like the occult or they don't like my books, it's fine. You know, that, that's how it works. As long as you get a market of people that do. Because there's some people will never like the occult, will never like occultism or the paranormal or UFOs or anything. It doesn't matter if a UFO landed in their garden, you know, a grey alien got out. You know, performed some, some great occult work and then disappeared again, they still wouldn't believe it. You know, they still wouldn't believe that it exists, so it's it's just one of those things, you know. Well, it's like, like it's like the it's like um, we television now is becoming so much dumber. It is, yeah. It, it has, isn't it? Yeah, because it's just, I think you've got like your, uh, I suppose your talent shows, and okay. In a way, they're allowing people to say things they normally wouldn't. Because, let's be honest, a lot of the things people are doing on there, there's just no market for. You know, and then, the, you know, yourself in Britain, we've narrowed things down a lot. You don't see jugglers. There's, there's kids have never seen a juggler or a magician in their entire lives, you know. Uh, it's the same with puppeteers. There's, there's people like Oh, I used to love to see Punch and Judy. I don't care about the controversial <laughs> subject. Because Punch get, gets it in the end anyway. The people don't actually watch the show. Punch comes out of it pretty bad. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing is that uh, people don't see it. So uh, it's also on that side, okay, these shows allow people to say things that wouldn't. Like you see a performing dog actor in this or that, which, it, okay, in some way it's doing that. But a lot of the stuff, you're right, it's just getting dumber and dumber and more dumbed down. 
uh, it, I think it's a problem trying to fill space, you know, because what do you do if you've got a channel and you've got to be on 18 hours a day maybe, you've got the okay and repeat some of it, but you've got to fill space, and so they're just doing things to try and fill space over and over again, uh, you know, they're just trying to to just fill space, you know, so they think, what we're going to do, celebrity cola drinking, uh, dragon hat dancing, so they just say, right, we'll just make that, and then they make a series, and they, that'll give us, you know, with adverts, one hour every day, <laughs> just make something else, because they're just trying to fill space. Oh, is it like you know? the, it used to be gardening programmes, then it was DIY programmes, and now it's yeah. cooking programmes, they thought of every single angle possible. My dog, uh, we could have, my dog cooks my dinner. That's right, yeah. But you look now, though, they're not using chefs anymore, because when they started off, I think they didn't realise how popular these were going to become. And some of the celebrities thought, wait a minute, you know, we were like celebrity real presenters, and these chefs have came along, and some of these guys are huge, you know? Oh, Not yes, just in yes. one country, but in loads of countries. So now they're thinking, no, we're going to have cookery shows where we cook. So now we've got, like, comedians and people like that because they try, they don't like the idea that a lot of cooks came in, chefs came in, and basically just took a huge bite out of that market, you know, the, the massive, you know? Mm, uh, mm. But I think that's what that is. They're saying, oh, no, we're going to use this for other comedians and people like that, you know? But are they funny? That's another problem, you know. Uh, oh, comedy really... today! I, I, you and me are both like you, similar kind of humour. I like the old style humour. I, I, I know people are going to say, "Oh, you must be racist." It's not about being racist. If they actually sit down and watch the programmes, actually watch it, not judge yeah. it by what they've heard, you know, watch a couple of episodes. They see both sides give as good as they get. Yeah. But you see, that's the thing, though. You see, you've got to watch it. And that's what people won't do. People judge without watching something or without, you know, giving it a chance. <laughs> but you're right on that, yeah. The thing is, though, now is that <clears throat> in the past, they just used to get rid of people if they were not getting rid of them. You know what I mean? Just, just wouldn't be on TV if they weren't any good anymore. So if you're a comedian, and maybe he did a series or something, it was good, and I thought, well, you know, I think he might, I think, you know, Mark might do another series, and he did another series, I thought, well, that's it, he really doesn't have anything more in him, he just wouldn't be on TV anymore, where now they'd say, okay, now he's going to do the cookery shows, and this, and that shows, uh, and keep it going, where in the past, they'd have just said, there's loads of comedians, we don't need Mark anymore, we'll just get another guy in, and another guy got a chance, and you got like a turnover, and if you look like even before my time, there seemed to be like a turnover of comedians, and then how people would have a series or two series, and then there'd be somebody else, and it was just this constant turnover, and it worked well. But now it's like once they're in, we've got to keep them going, we've got to keep them going as long as we can. But they don't need to keep them going as long as they can. You know, it's perfectly acceptable to just get somebody else if they run out of material. You know, it's fine. Yes, I mean, I mean, you've only got to look at the. As I said, you look at I I love the Carry On films. I think that proper seaside sea, uh, seaside card humour, you know, you know, in the yeah. end, though, everywhere. It's not actually said; it's what's in your head. Exactly, yeah. It is. I mean, if you look at it, you've got really the Carry On films and uh, the Hammer Horrors are the biggest. Uh, film franchise we ever had you know in Britain the most successful we ever had are the Hammer Horror films and uh, the Carry On films they're the two big ones you know uh, and the thing they're both at opposite poles aren't they because the, the Hammer Horrors aren't at all funny they're not trying to be funny at all they're very serious and the Carry Ons are completely the other direction you know uh, they're both bigger than life in their own way uh, but they're both completely different, you know, there's no pattern there, you couldn't look in a hammer horror and a carry-on, and I, I don't think you could make a pattern there. Really, Although the actors, if you watch them, a lot of actors used to do both. Yeah, it did, you used to get people moving around, you used to get uh, people doing like TV series and doing films, we don't seem to get that as much now, not in the UK, you know. 
I mean, the comedian, if you're like a comedian in Britain now and you get a series, you know, you're not expecting to get a film. Where if you look at the past, they did Morgan and Wise got got two films, was it? Maybe more than two actually. Uh, you know, so it did happen. I mean, I think there was ones where there was uh, the two Ronnies. I don't, I don't know that we're in together, but they were in films separately. Uh, oh yes, I think Ronnie uh, Corbett's been in quite a few films. I know uh, yeah. Ronnie Barker was in quite a few films as well. Yeah, because uh, you know that doesn't happen now, does it? And no. it's, the thing is, it's strange because there's still a studio. Uh, in Britain and London, they're a big one, you know, and the, <laughs> I think the Star Wars are largely made uh, uh, there. Yes, yeah, um, like James Bond's probably been made there at the moment. Yeah, but that's the thing, we've actually got it there, and yet uh, it doesn't happen, because I think they're worried that the whole market isn't large enough or something. But it, and it's strange, because look, we've got online, so distribution is easy. And you'd think, if you put a film out and you've had... I don't know, maybe some comedians and well-known people in Britain, and you put it out, that it would, you'd think you'd, you'd sell, wouldn't you, really? Uh, and, it, and I wouldn't think that raising money would be difficult. All you'd have to say is we've got, you know, all these, several of these comedians, bloody bloody blah, and a script. They'd probably get government funding as well. Well, for, it, no, you think, the uh, trouble is, people always think of the biggest hits that we see on, you know, the latest blockbusters. But what they forget yeah. is, like, out of every film, say there's 100 films made in a year, out of that 100, there probably may be less than 10 that are actually big, mega hits. Yeah. It's right. I mean, I know that the old Amicus films, are reckon that all their films were profitable. Uh, and what they did is they got the time there was a big grant in Britain for making films. And what they did was they used a combination of the grants and their own money. And they realised if they made them for a certain amount, that they would be profitable. And so they made a lot of... All the films were profitable, the Amicus ones. Uh, uh, but the, I think the, but the company stopped. But it, they did, you know, they did a lot of profitable films, you know. And that was an American company, but they filmed in the UK. Well, as you say, yeah, so you, you can easily probably make an internet film yourself. If, you, if you're not worried about big numbers, you probably could just make one, do a, a, a little story, get get people you know to do a little part, yeah, put it out there. Oh, you may not get the big money, but you'll definitely get shown somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, that was why I did Horror Meal, which was... It was partly because I wanted to do uh, some publicity. I wasn't sure how to do it because occultism was banned a lot of places. You know, I'd say a lot of the mainstream media and stuff like that. So I thought, I'll do an anthology film is what I did. Uh, and it ended up getting, like, you know, these things are like, they end up getting scaled down. And so at the time, to be honest, I should have got a different computer because the computer was breaking as I was going along. Uh, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I realised I was going to have to do this as one person, which is the reason why, if you look now, I think uh, some film group would change the definition of an anthology film. Because now an anthology film has to have lots of different directors for the different parts. Because this was a one-guy job. This was a one-man anthology film. So I actually, I looked at the, uh, the you know, the old one, The Storyteller? Yes. Uh, the old series of that. I looked at the anthology film. Thought, well, if I did something a bit like The Storyteller, and I'll link it together. And that's what I try to do. And there was bits where the slide shows, and it was part of it were like an enhanced, uh, an enhanced uh, audio book. Because an audio book normally, if it's an enhanced one, you have one picture per chapter. But instead, I thought well, I'll have regular pictures and things and parts with me talking. And and that was what I did. And I linked four stories together. And I think in the second link, I was right, the second link I did where I vanished some salt, you know, and I did it like that. It ran about, it runs 73 minutes, so it's long enough to be a feature film. <clears throat> and it took quite a while, but at least I had a try, and I learned a lot from it, you know. Uh, I think it got about 120,000 views or something like that, which isn't bad, uh, which is pretty good. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we should try that. I think we should do, try to get people that we know do a little bit of a film, uh, you know, give us a, like a, 
like a, a way we can improv something or like you know a subject matter yeah. and then we could all send you the um bits that we do and you could sort of edit it together like a little film yeah, I've thought about that before. Yeah, it'd be a great idea. I don't mind doing a little bit. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. Yeah, I would as well. I think it's a great idea too. Yeah, I think that's probably the future of filmmaking is people finding a way whereby they incorporate together, you know, and, and do it. That's probably the future for a lot of people. Yes, I mean, I mean, you know lots of people that would do it easily. I mean, you know, we could call it the underground movement. It's a good, that's a good name, actually, yeah. Yeah, we we need to work out some idea of a script, you know, and and, and work it out. But yeah, yeah, oh yes, yeah, script, script yeah, matter. We could just, yeah. we could go along the fact that we're all considered underground as such, so we yeah. secretly use all the the underground as a way of using our voices to get out to society. That really, you need to listen. It does, yeah. I mean. Let's be honest, if we look at it, we can see from the position we're at, things are not good. Things are falling apart. You know, people aren't even watching TV anymore. You know, there's a constant attack on, on when you look at people doing anything different. There's a, there's a, a constant onslaught all the time. Uh, you know, you get people being removed from the internet or being removed from various places. <coughs> I mean, I don't even write things about Iblis, which is an Islamic devil. And the reason I don't is, I realised at one point that the people who are writing on Iblis, they just seem to disappear. Which is, I understand maybe there's a very good reason for. So I don't write anything on Iblis, which is one of the one things I don't do. Uh, but there's a lot of this stuff. People really need uh, to connect and to listen to this stuff, because it's just, it's falling apart. You know, and I don't just mean the media. They parts of the media, there's just nothing there. The country, the world is falling apart because without this, the underground stuff, without that being a part, to some degree, of the mainstream, there's nothing there. There's no soul there anymore. Uh, you know, people don't know what's true, what isn't, you know. <clears throat> well, we had underground oh. movements during the 60s, the 40s, the 30s, yeah. the 20s. They all, I mean, people say, oh, no, don't, there's no, I said, of course there was. In Victorian times, they had clubs where men used to dress up as women because that was the only way they could actually go and see each other because it wasn't allowed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's the thing, I'm really against censorship. That's, that's what I think is the problem, is things are too censored. <coughs> but the, but but they don't even admit to being censored. What they'll say is, oh, no, it's not censored. We're not censoring it. It's just you're not allowed here. It's not allowed on here and here and here, <laughs> which is the same thing, you know. It's, oh, it's gone... I, I used to do a lot of um, YouTube. I love YouTube. And I yeah. used to put the odd bit on, you know. But now they say, oh, sorry, you cannot. Oh, it's okay to carry on using this content, but we'd like to give you a heads up that, You've been in a bit of a naughty boy and you should have used it. Because I did a thing uh, about Burt Reynolds. And I'm a great fan of the Smoking the Bandit films. I, I love that film. Yeah. So I did a little bit of the song. You know, like you said the songs. You know, like, um, uh, uh, I can't remember. He's spelling it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a, I did a little sing-along. with the, the So I thought, if I sing with it, it'd be okay. No, got a little thing saying, um, I'm very sorry, but this content shouldn't be in there. But we'll let it go this time. I thought, yeah. oh my God, what is the world coming to that you can't... It, I, can, I mean, I'm not going to say... I would never say it's mine. If you, if I'm talking to you, and I use your... Yeah. If I say to you, oh, can I read a chapter in your book? I always say, I am reading a chapter of a book by S. Rob. It's called... Exactly, yeah. John Smith walked up the road and saw a dog or something like that, you know. I never say, exactly, if, yeah. if it's, if it's mine, I say it's mine. I, ne I never, I never, I always give credit where credit's due. Yeah. But you're right, yeah, it's just, part of it though with YouTubers is that people are claiming ownership of things that aren't theirs. 
and it's sort of like a, the Wild West, the person who got there first owns it, even if they don't. So there's a lot of people, you know, like the horror horse phenomenon, where you got people hosting films and they talk about films. They've got the problem that some people have claimed these public domain films which aren't owned by anybody. And the problem they've got is they post them on YouTube and they have to appeal. And if they've got a lot of films, they're appealing every time. Uh, and so you'll have people claiming, well, this little piece of music is ours, it's not, it's, it's in a film. It's from a public domain film, so you can't own the music. Uh, and this happens all the time with people. Uh, Didn't you do a bit of horror hosting the other yeah. day? Yeah, I do that. I was talking to, on the show with Bobby Gamonster, who's a horror host, yeah. Yes, you, you and me have both been on his show, haven't we? He's a fantastic person. He is. He's a great guy, Bobby. Yeah, he is. And he's very, very, uh, very devoted. Because he turned his house into a, a museum of horror. And he, he bought a whole load, made a whole load of stuff and bought a whole over a 50-year period. And I think then he made a separate part in a shop you know, which I don't think you'd get away with that over here. If you wanted over here, I say I wanted to convert my house into a museum. Uh, I think I'd probably get a load of shit. I'd have to apply for a change of use and this and that, you know. But over there, people do that. And I think it's great if they can, that they can just say, okay, this is going to be a museum. And they convert everything, you know. But it's really, really devoted to do that. When you turn your entire house into, uh, pardon me, sorry into a collection of horror memorabilia and, and stuff linked with horror. That is a really, uh, you know, a real devotion to what he does, you know. And he's done hundreds of films he's, he's uh, presented, um, horror horse, and he's done loads, he has. And he's very he's, generous he's, to help, uh, for people, when you go on his show, he's very generous to give you quite a bit of time to help him out to introduce the film. He does, yeah. He's a, he is a really good guy, he is. Uh, you know, and you get them on, I think there's other people being on his show as well, but it's always a good publicity that, you know, getting a little bit on those shows. Uh, but yeah, he's he's really devoted to what he does as well. Because actually, in everyday life, he doesn't wear those glasses and the hat. And when he takes them off, he looks different. You think, Jesus, this doesn't look like Bobby Gamonster. But it is, because that's his actual name. His actual name is Bobby Gamonster. Yeah, I remember you know, him telling he me he changed it by legal depot. Yeah. I think it's great because no one can say, oh, well, it's not your real name. Say, actually, it is. <laughs> it is his real name. Exactly, yeah, it is his real name. Yeah, he's, you know, he's really... Uh, we also set up together uh, Monster Paranormal Horror TV, which, if you look... It's easy to find the website actually by going to my site and clicking on the M Monster yeah MPH TV button because it's just along the top. So you go to like www.srob.co.uk. All my stuff's there. It's the plug for me. But if you want to watch the Monster Paranormal Horror TV, look for the on the button on the top. It says MPH TV and click on that and it's on the front page and there's like there's uh, some of the things that I'm horror hosting and uh, some documentaries by me and some stuff by Bobby and it, it's great it goes round all the time you know uh, different stuff so that's good as well we're both on that I, I like that idea I like the idea that you can as you say you're not not breaking any laws these films are have been public domain for god knows how many years because they basically are not categorised, they probably come under what they used to call the old U system. Exactly, yeah, that's it, yeah. You know, the idea that before this date, you know, all this stuff's public domain. It works with uh, books as well. That's why you get people like publishers selling like very old books quite cheaply because they don't own them. Everybody owns them. So what they do is, it's like a race to the bottom. So that's why you're not always finding a cheap copy of Shakespeare. Because <coughs> there's, there's a lot of pages in it, nobody owns it. So uh, all the publishers have to put it out as cheap as they can. Uh, and it's the same with other stuff as well. And you get it with like public domain films and music. Uh, yeah, I do like a lot of um, Kindle. I get a lot of free books for Kindle, which is great. Yeah. Some of them are it really is, yeah. good books. Yeah, I mean, you get the KDP program there, don't you? The Kindle Direct or something that you can get with a lot of books that repay a fee. 
but there's also, like you said, there's a lot of free books as well. <coughs> a lot of public domain things that are there. You know, within occultism, the old public domain ones tend to be uh, quite complicated. You know, as in, they were writing it with the perspective that uh, it shouldn't be easy to understand. You know, uh, but it's stranger because if we look at the Victorian books uh, in other subjects, they were quite easy to understand. You know, I used to uh, like have a, like a collection of old books. No, usually they were actually uh, new copies, but of, of very old books. And there's the one I got, which was about like fighting and boxing, and it was fascinating. But it's the language they used, and it's got like several like. Uh, styles of wrestling, which obviously at the time were originally were part of fencing, because some of them have got like six moves or something. Uh, but it's the language I used to love, you know, and the way they did it, you know. Uh, it's it's of, funny you, you mention it because a lot of people always say, "Oh, England hasn't got any martial arts." Well, actually, we one. have. We've got boxing. We've got quarter staffing. We have archery. Also got swords as well. Exactly. You know, so the fencing, we've got loads of things. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it came from the period when we had, <coughs> when we were allowed to carry arms. Because at that point, that was when we were at our, I think, our martial height in terms of individuals. And like, if you look at the Hans Talhaber book, it's a German book. But it's, if you look at it, it's fascinating. It's got, like, pole axes and all these things and how to throw a man on a horse if you're also on a horse. And, you know, stuff that probably wouldn't be that useful to people. But it's really interesting, yeah. And they've got, like, a lot of the wrestling style comes from a guy who was called Otto the Jew, is what they called him. And they said he was the second best wrestler in Germany, is what they said. But there was no copyright at the time, and this guy basically learned his wrestling style, which the claim came from an old partially from an old Jewish wrestling style, is what they said. Uh, now, I'm not Jewish, but I've talked to people and no one's even aware of it. So, whether that was just something he said or not, but that's what he claimed. It's like you told me uh, about Defend You. I never heard of it until you told me. Yeah, that was also a thing as well. That was, uh, well, originally before World War Two. And that was when the guy was a Shanghai policeman. <clears throat> and after getting stabbed 37 times in one door and not dying, he started to learn things and he got better. And that all came from that, yeah. I think you know, Eric Sykes had a connection to that as well. He did, yeah. He, he was a, a big part of that as well. He was a spy, that guy, as well. You know, yeah, he was connected as well. He was, uh, he helped, came up with the knife the Fairburn Sykes knife that they use. Uh, which they're in, I think some people are still supposed to use it, whether some armies use it or not, still, I don't know, you know. But it's, the books are interesting. I know it seems futile to people to try and, uh, you know, when you've got old martial arts and you've got books, because really you need people. But they're fascinating books and they help you understand how people think, you know. I really do feel if you look at a book, Especially non-fiction. I don't think fiction really helps. But if it's non-fiction, it helps you get into the mindset of the time. You know, how people actually were. You know, simply through the act of reading the book. Yeah, I agree with that. You can, you yeah. can when you actually read some of these non-fiction books, you, as you say, you, you get the essence of what they was about. And I like yeah. that idea. I like the idea that, the, like you told me, of the concept of, how to grab someone by the throat or simple but very effective movements. Yeah, because that was the thing. The defending stuff became the World War Two stuff, but they got rid of the, a lot of the holds because they didn't need to arrest people. Uh, but they didn't have long to teach people. So sometimes they'd have an hour to teach someone unarmed combat. But what do you teach someone in an, in an hour, you know? Or a couple of hours, you, you can't teach them much. So they only could teach them the stuff that they wouldn't be able to mess up. And the stuff they could use against a more highly skilled opponent. So all that stuff was designed to be able to beat someone bigger, stronger and more skilled. Uh, which is why they generally practice like moving forward. You know, there's like this forward drive in that stuff. Uh, where they're moving forward all the time. Uh, so the other person is off balance, you know, that... So they gain the advantage. 
as I say, I, I, I was really impressed when you sent me that, and I, I did actually look up the book and the movements in it, and I thought, yes, I could. I, I can remember Eric Sanks used to do the pretend karate chop, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? Because people see these things, uh, and they see them repeated in comedy, <clears throat> and they've got no idea that it had an actual basis. That it actually was something that... Because it looks crazy. The idea, the thing about a karate chop looks mad. It looks crazy. But what they didn't realise was they weren't doing it with the chest, they were doing it to vital organs, to vital points like the, the Adam's apple or the size of the neck and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, very um, potentially lethal it. ways of getting... Yeah. As you said, he had to be quick. Out of the way. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, they were going for the vital points, you know. Uh, and when you think about it, it's easy now to get lost, isn't it? Because, you know, I'm not a martial artist. I'm not, but you look at a lot of these things that tend to get more and more and more complicated, and it's impossible to miss it, you know? Uh, you know, now it seems to be all kicks and how many punches can they do and how many types of kicks can they do and all these different grappling styles. I mean, you look at it on YouTube, you look and you think, this is really, really complicated. And you think, but what would you do if you had to teach somebody something you had an hour? Because that's what you had to do with one hour, you know? You couldn't teach that in an hour, no. You couldn't know. And the thing is, as well, though, is the matches go on a long time. Don't they? They go on a really long time, these matches. And you think about it, any fight I've seen in the world has never went on very long. Oh, no, it's normally... They reckon a proper... If you... I mean, I wouldn't get involved in fights, but they reckon no, under, under a minute, most fights in the street would be over and done with. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's quick, you know? Most of the stuff they probably couldn't even use in that amount of time. You know, it's quick and, and over with, you know. Yeah, so it, but it's interesting because it gets you into the mindset because the thing is, you know, I'm not a military man, never been in the military, never been in the war. And I don't really want to be, to be honest, but the thing is, at the time you think, the mindset, how would they deal with it? And you realise they had to solve a lot of problems that you wouldn't think about, you know? Like the idea that the Germans used to wear, like, tin helmets and they used to have, like, a, a cup that went over the jaw. So if you punched them, you'd be punching a metal cup, which would be a problem, you know? So they had to solve that problem and what do we do? We can't do that, you know? Uh, and I suppose they didn't have Kevlar at the time, but they still had these thick suits, you know. And if it was nowadays, of course, they'd be punching Kevlar. They'd have like a Kevlar bodysuit, you know, or body armor. You know, it's it's complicated. It's not. Uh, oh no, it's, it's easy. It's to... Eve, I mean, most police have got um, knife-proof jackets, so they protected in the chest because most people would attack the chest. They don't think about, as you say, the lower extremities or the head. Yeah. It's right, yeah. I mean, that's, I, mean I think it's a good idea that police have them, actually. Because, you know, we need them to go into situations that we don't want to go in. You know, I don't really want to go into a situation if there's a, you know, something's terrible. I'd rather a policeman went in because he's got the body armour, he's got the experience, he's got a truncheon. He's got, you know, one of them tiers of things and all these things. Uh, so it helps to maintain, you know, some degree of law and order, you know, because things can just, otherwise society could just break down very easily, you know. Well, society is breaking down all the time. It seems to be a bit, doesn't it? That's the problem, yeah. You know, it, it does seem that people are cut off as well, because it's strange that we're living in an age where communication is supposed to be so easy, and yet... Uh, people are still cut off from it because they're being sort of hoodwinked. They're being conned into thinking that uh, anything outside of the mainstream is a bit wacky and crazy and I can't tell you anything. And that's the problem there is that they're convinced them, no, you don't really want this. What you want is you want, you know, celebrity cooking and this and that. People don't really need that. Well, yeah, you just cannot keep up with the world, the world wants no more. No, you can't. It's just, it just changes. I mean, it seems like 
that at one point it seemed that in the occult that something terrible would happen every six months. <laughs> there was this constant onslaught. So every six months, uh, or sometimes less than that, something catastrophic would occur you'd have to deal with. Uh, it maybe still does because you don't notice it, you just go with the changes. But it's, it's just the way it is, you know? There's so much trying to stop people from doing these things. It's like the tree of the internet, they created, you know, an information revolution where communication is easier. And then they realised that this changed everything, that it changed uh, TV and newspapers and all the other media. Uh, it made information easier to share. And what it really did was... That's what they put in this new law. I think they put this new law in about the data protection thing. Because now, when I, I used to be able to find lots of research quite easily. But now it's become incredibly hard. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the same with a lot of things now. I mean, it seems that... I don't you mean that the internet is becoming a different place, isn't it? To find things. Uh, you don't find strange. I mean, when the internet, I don't think it'd be going that long. <coughs> and my brother had a computer at the time. He bought a computer, and searching uh, found a load of basically classified documents. And there was a whole database that someone had just put on the internet, and it was like all these Russian out of date experiments that made not made no uh, sense to us at all. Um, basically speaking, I think we just left it. We don't visit that site again. But it was full all over the internet. You could go and you could find, you know, if some guy got, you know, badly or thought he was going to get killed, we could put all of it on the internet and you'd find it there. And there was stuff about these strange planes and all types of stuff there. Uh, but now we did now it was that many years, you know. All that stuff will now already be there. I think they've already, you can see the planes now, the sort of, you know, the black sort of triangular planes and stuff like that, similar to it. Uh, and the ones that don't show on radar, that they're there. But at the time, you could find anything, and it was just there, you know? Uh, and now it's not. It's not there. It's probably why some people, I think, will probably move to the dark internet, to the dark web. Yes, yeah, so I mean, I think the dark web, um, obviously people keep thinking of the illegal things, but like everything, everything can be used for good or bad. I think the yeah. dark net is what the internet started off being a free way of expressing views and putting an idea out there okay it may be rubbish but i'm going to give you this idea oh i don't like that so you dismiss it and like you say it, it we they, they want to come like as you say we don't watch tv anymore like we used to people watch it and i i do i stream it i a lot of, i watch a lot of netflix and things like that because it's easier. Yeah. I can watch three or four episodes back to back. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I feel, <coughs> like you said, the dark web is probably where a lot of people will go to anyway. Uh, I mean, there was a point, I don't know if you remember this, when they were going to delist all of the esoteric and occultism from uh, the internet in the UK. And I was really scared they were going to do this for everywhere. I thought they could follow suit. But I was lucky, I knew a guy who actually at the time was, uh, I think he was a mercenary at the time, so he actually put me on the dark web, so he actually found some of my bootlinks and things on the dark web, uh, because although mercenaries, although it's perfectly legal, they don't communicate, I don't think, on the normal internet, they tend to use like these different things, so you've got actually these huge big companies, military firms, communicating in this way, uh, because they can't really use the internet anymore for that. Uh, so, you know, you've got, I'm on there somewhere, you know, never seen it, but I've got stuff on there somewhere. Uh, so if everything else goes down, you know, if the normal internet became too restricted, I'm still on there to some degree, I've still got a presence, you know. Well, Rob, I, 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 I like to thank you for being on this little bit of a podcast, though. I think we've covered quite a lot of interesting and fascinating subject that's great i'll just get my website off yes please do sorry i do apologize yeah okay www.srob.co.uk 
Uh, and you can find anything else from there. There's like buttons across the top for ordering spell castings and finding books. Okay, that's www.srob.co.uk. Okay. And you'll find some excellent quality books. I have read a few for Srob, and I would highly recommend them. I don't think I have. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for being on my show, and I will do a little sign off for you because I always like to like you anyway. Because we, we considered ourselves friends. That's true. Thank you, S. Rob, for being on our, my show. It is nice to talk about mermaids and other stuff, you know. I hope other people listen in and go to your site. Because they may be in for a delight. Okay, so that's it now, is it?